Sam, are you about ready? Yes, it's a glorious three-hour finale. You got a minute and a half. <gasps> At this time, I'd like to take a moment to review our boarding process with you. When the automatic doors have opened, please proceed directly across the ramp into the cabin. Just stay in your seats, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll blow you up as soon as possible. Hmm? You know what I mean. Hey, guys, it looks like we're all here. Let's go! everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 291 for the week of September 9th, 2012. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. So this week, I'm excited to share an interview with Disney Imagineer Jason Grant. He's going to share his story of growing up being fascinated with Walt Disney World to joining Walt Disney Imagineering. We discuss many of Jason's projects over the years, including a look into his role in helping bring back the orange bird to Adventureland in the Magic Kingdom. We also discuss the new Fantasyland, as well as memories of Epcot Center and Jason's role in the upcoming 30th anniversary celebration. Jason also shares some insight to those looking to become Imagineers themselves. Then test your Walt Disney World knowledge and answer our trivia question of the week for your chance to win a Disney prize package I'll then have some announcements about our next WW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World during Epcot's 30th anniversary celebration, our next Disney charity auction, other special events, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. to helping you have a better Walt Disney World vacation and enhancing your enjoyment and appreciation of the Disney parks, I also like being able to introduce you to some of the incredible people who make what we like to call Disney magic really happen, from artists to legends to in-park cast members and those behind the scenes. I think that hearing their stories in their own words is one of the best ways to learn about who they are and their contributions to everything we get to enjoy every day. So today I'm joined by one of those people who in recent years has become very well known to some of those who follow the parks closely and uh, attend some of the Disney events both in and out of the parks. He is somebody who really does help make the magic happen. He is Jason Grant from Walt Disney Imagining. So Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lou. It, uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time because, like I said, you know, we've started to get to know you a little bit from some of the events and things like that, and we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But first, tell me, um, you know, a, a little bit about your background and how and when you got started and how you got eventually to Imagineering. Okay, well, um, <laughs> do you want the lengthy answer? Or the... <laughs> so, the, well, the lengthy answer is that I've been 
a Disney fan as long as I can remember. So my earliest Disney memory is I was, um, let's see, maybe like four or five years old. My mom took me to go see Sleeping Beauty. And I came home, and the first thing I did was I made a shield of truth and a sword of valor out of cardboard and ran around the house. And then um, my dad came home, and he's a policeman, so he was a little bit less impressed with his boy prince. Um, But then after that, my family made our first trip to Walt Disney World um, when I was five, and we stayed at Fort Wilderness because we had an RV, and we'd stay there for about two weeks. And it was awesome. And that's when I just got totally obsessed with the parks, and I was obsessed with Tomorrowland. Specifically, I loved Carousel of Progress, Woodway People Mover, If You Had Wings. The only ride outside of Tomorrowland that I was really into was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride because it had the two tracks, and I always thought that was, like, incredibly clever. And I was like, why doesn't every ride have two tracks? You know, this is amazing. <laughs> and how old so, were you about that time? That was I was five. Okay. But I never knew people... I didn't know people designed the parks. I never thought about that. I, I, so I figured, well, I like to draw, so I'm going to be an animator. Because I would see the cartoons a lot, you know. So then between trips, you know, my mom would write in so we could get the Vacation Land magazines, and I would look through them. And then, and then I think the big trip for me was in 1983, a couple months after Epcot opened, we came down. That was our second family trip. And um, I remember walking into Epcot and being obsessed with Tomorrowland and, like, being a kid that, like, reads Popular Science magazine and all this stuff. And I looked at Future World and just thought, oh, my God, this is it. I've made it. You know, this is real. This is Tomorrowland Magic Kingdom is cool because it's fun, but this is the real deal. And one day everything is going to be like this and it's going to be awesome. And then two years later was our last family trip. Uh, and that's when we when I went on Horizons. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to live in Nova site. That's I'm going to have that apartment in that city. And this is going to be it. And um, and that was like and then I was at that point, I was pretty much just gone. You know, I was just totally into it. And I didn't visit the parks again for 10 years because my sisters went to college and I went to college and, and uh, we spent a lot of time in Wisconsin during, <laughs> during that period. But um, the next trip back was my girlfriend's family was coming down and they asked me to go with and uh, I'll, I'll be grateful for them for that forever because that when I went to the parks, this point I was in college and I saw what was happening here and it all dawned on me like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing with my design work. I've been telling stories all this time because when I did my art projects in school, teachers never understood what I was doing because I wasn't like drawing pictures I was like oh no well this is a world and we're going to do this stuff and create you were an art major Uh, in college I was actually I started off in art education with a graphic design minor and then once I came here I'm like oh no no this is what I'm supposed to be doing and all my childhood kind of snapped back and uh, switched schools switched to visual communication which is graphic design and I um, told the head of the art department that I wanted to do independent studies and design theme park rides and he was like he was a priest, and he was totally awesome, Father Geinzer. And he was like, he was an architect and a furniture builder. So this was like, he's like, no one's ever wanted to do that before. I was like, good. And he's like, let's do it. So my senior thesis uh, in college, I designed a preview, designed and built a full-size preview center for like a Magic Kingdom knockoff park. So when little kids came to the gallery show, they thought it was like real. Like, where is this going to be? And when's it opening, you know? And then um, I worked at the Field Museum for a year as an exhibit designer and during that year is when I was interviewing with WDI so a couple interviews a couple interviews in California and they said well we need people in Florida and I thought well that's perfect because I'm a Walt Disney World guy you know I'm an East Coast guy so I came down here and interviewed and that's when I got the job and uh, in three weeks that'll, that would have been uh, 14 years ago so and it's been uh, it's been great so 
when you were when you were that coming was here. Long, was it? Was that was perfect. Okay, no, that's, right. you know, because I think it, it okay. helps to set the framework. Because you know, we'll talk about sort of how every Imagineer's journey to Imagineering is different. You know, was there a point that, as a fan, maybe you're not coming here that often, but you are reading what what you can and trying to learn to get? <clears throat> Do you realize that there is this Imagineering thing that you eventually aspire to become or get to? You know, I, like I said, I didn't know about Imagineering as a kid. I had the Art of Disney book, the Christopher Finch book, and, like, the last, like, five pages are the parks, right? But it, I never really... It just didn't dawn on me. Like, somebody draws this stuff. I just... I never really thought about it. It just didn't click. But then when I came in college, it totally clicked. And that's when it was like, okay, absorb, absorb, absorb. I had those, um, like, the day at Epcot Center video. I bought, like, that whole VHS set. I watched those videos ad nauseum. I came here with my cousin over the summer, videotaped every attraction. So I would sit at dinner when I came home from college because I lived at home and watched the videos. Like, I think I've ridden the Wedway People Mover more on video than I have <laughs> in, in real life. And trust me, I've ridden it a lot. Um, and so I just, just would soak it all up. And I, and I started thinking to myself, okay, well, who were the original Imagineers? What did they do? Guys like Mark Davis, Exitencion, Claude Coates. And they all came out of animation. So all this time as a kid obsessed with cartoons actually helped inform me about storytelling right it was almost like i had like a boot camp and wasn't even realizing it because even now if you go to look at like my blu-ray collection it's all animation that's all i watch i don't watch i mean a couple live action things like snowball express and mary poppins and things but other than that it's all cartoons and so um that's when i started thinking well what were these guys doing and how did they learn how to do this stuff and that's why when i went to the field museum as an intern and then when they hired me i told them i don't want to do graphic design I want to do environmental design. I want to learn how to design spaces and design areas because that's they don't teach you that in college. And so that's where I learned how to do all that stuff. And so that's kind of like my training and how that crystallized in college. was. It was sort of like a, uh, like a problem-solving exercise, right? Like what do I need to – like where am I deficient and how do I fill in those, those cracks? So – it's kind of a spaz about it. Kind of a spaz. Well, so. no, really. I think the uh, the takeaway, the valuable lesson from that is kids who are listening, who are five and six years old, need to tell their parents when they're watching you know, cartoons all day, Mom, I'm just preparing for my future. This is my future in Imagineering. I'm laying the groundwork for, for it and can cite you. Yeah, because I, when I was a kid, I used to make these long strips of paper, and I would draw scenes from a cartoon on it, and then I'd make a little TV box, and I would pull the strips through the box. And I would show how a story would unfold, right? Like, this is the setup shot, and this is what happened, and this is the gag, and all this stuff. You know, that's how they design Pirates, and that's how they design Haunted Mansion. You know, it's the same thing as an animated short. It's that same storyline technique. And so, so yeah, it was great, you know, watching all those cartoons. You know, I think my dad might have hoped I'd... He always wanted me to be an architect, so I don't think he thought it was a very serious thing watching <laughs> cartoons, but but it worked out in the end. Better so. Disney than Vandalay Industries. Yeah, uh, right, they, right. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to work for art. Right, so you, uh, chances are you didn't bring your, your little comic strip to you, but when you start to interview for WDI, do, are you bringing things that you worked on in college, or do they say, hey, we yeah. want to see what you can do? So I had a portfolio from college. The first one actually went to our legal team in Burbank and got sent back to me, <laughs> which was really good, <laughs> because I had my, my some images of my preview center in there but then I had you know graphic design and stuff and other things but every time I went to WDI they'd show me something else and I'd go oh that's what they want to see so then I'd go to the museum and completely start doing my work differently and they'd be like why are you doing it that way now I'm like oh no don't worry I'm just you know I read it somewhere and it was basically so I could build the portfolio that I knew Imagineering wanted to see so by the time I had that third interview everything was there because I had looked as I went and um it worked great. I guess it worked pretty well. And the other thing at the interview was funny is like, 
multiple times I told people, well, I'm young and I'm stupid and I don't really know what I'm doing. So um, that seemed to be a good strategy, too, at least for me. Um, but I wouldn't recommend that one to everyone. That's not. But. And so what was that, what was that, um, that first day at WDI? Like, right? you, get your, uh, you get your name bag. What's that first day like? What's sort of the, one of the first projects you remember working on? So the first day was um, I got assigned to the Epcot team which was really cool because I was obsessed with Epcot. And um, we went to lunch at the uh, Tapanyaki mm-hmm. dining room in Japan, which was really great. And then my first project was a sign for the, uh, you remember the Norway, the, the, the Viking ship that used to be out there, yeah. Playground? So I did a sign for that ship that was to explain why it was there and how it was from that movie. It was a 13th Warrior or whatever it was. And then... Um, we didn't have the budget to build it, <laughs> so the first project got ki- got killed. <laughs> and so I spent like five days like this is my first one. I gotta really make this a grand slam, you know. And uh, so it didn't go anywhere. But then after that, it was uh, we were gearing up for Millennium, so we got right on Mouse Gear, um, a couple, a lot of gallery exhibits at Epcot early on, and things like that. So it was good. I think it was good that that first project didn't go anywhere because it was kind of like well, it kind of just tampered things down and stay focused on what was happening and not get too frothy you know right so and over the years i'm sure you've worked on you know countless attractions and areas of of the theme park and we can touch on some of those if you want some of the are there any of those in there um over that time that's sort of really memorable for you or ones that you sort of look back on now and say wow this is stuff i'm really proud that i worked on oh gosh well i i have done a lot yeah um let me think. So I think some of the big ones are, you know, most recently, you know, the uh, Backstage Magic with Mickey Mouse and Town Square Theater was a great project, and we had a great team, and it was a lot of fun. That was like, because we got to do, that was like, um, for me at least, that was like five-year-old Jason, like absolutely out of his mind, because it was Mickey Mouse, it was classic Disney storytelling, we got to do animation in the queue, so we got to direct animation and write real cartoons, you know, so that was like kind of a full circle moment for the five-year-old inside of me um other things that have been great are like um bippity boppity boutique i was the art director on that here in the castle and the princess shop and that's where i was telling you earlier i got the nickname jason the boy princess <laughs> so i've done a lot of princess uh related projects and then um another one that i think is really cool that's still in epcot now is the uh spirited beast gallery uh, in japan gallery yeah, the spirited yeah. beast show which I love um, the parks in Japan. I have a big um, fondness for uh, Japan, and that was a great project. I was an art director on that project. So, And actually, a lot of those objects in the gallery I actually bought in Tokyo. So about 80% of them were bought over the course of three days and, and brought back to the States in a very well-packed suitcase, <laughs> which I almost had to unpack at Customs, which I'm glad they didn't make me do it because it was like a Pandora's box. And I thought, these guys make me unpack this thing. I'm never going to get it back together. So Well, you mentioned at Town Square Theater, and that's one of the things that I really enjoy. And I think one of the first times um, you and I had a chance to talk was when you were talking about that. Because I remember the first time I went in there was the day it opened, and I felt really bad because there wasn't a lot of people there. And I walk in, and there's Mickey and Minnie, and they're doing their thing. Right. And I said, listen, guys, I love you and all, but I'm here to take pictures of the stuff opposite you. Because I knew, and I had already started to see... All the incredible details. And that's one yeah. of the things I love showing people because that is such a, uh, a prime example of great storytelling, nostalgia, and references to not just the parks but mm. the movies. And there is a little bit of five-year-old Jason in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit. That was that wasn't supposed to be known until the parks blog posted the <laughs> posted the sketch. Yeah, that was the best part. You know, we. Um, I know you refer to it as an onion, right? 
which is which is good except for people who don't like onions but but um i like to think of them as cakes but we design as like a cake and when you design a project it's like well what is this situation oh it's a birthday okay well it's a birthday cake do you like chocolate and then you kind of start building this cake and then at the end you come in and you frost it right so all of those little details in mickey are all the frosting and and um as we worked in layers, right, we built the cake, we got, we got chocolate, we know this, we're going to do base coat of frosting, and then we got to all these props, and we're like, well, what are we going to do with all these props? And that's when we started going in and layering in all of those Disney references. In this case, in Mickey's, it most, more often than not, specifically to magic. So that's why there's reference to Madame Men and Merlin and things like that in there. So we had a blast, and it, it really got, it kind of got out of control after a while because we just kept, because the more you think about that stuff, the more it comes to you. And um, a couple of them were really serendipitous. Like, my kid came up with the Dumbo Magic Feathers one because we were looking at some stickers, and he's like, what's that horn on Dumbo's nose? And I'm like, no, 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 that's a magic feather. That's how Dumbo flies. I'm like, oh, my God, levitation joke, you know? (laughs) So he goes to bed, and then we made the label really fast that night, come in the next day and slap it on a can. So um, that's how that stuff happens. It was just a bunch of people, and we just were just jamming on it. And the more we thought about it, the more that stuff kind of percolates to the top. And, and I assume that the base of the cake, the cake itself, is, is all grounded in story? Yeah, absolutely. The experience there is that you're going backstage to meet Mickey. So we start you off in a very elegant and regal uh, Victorian theater. Then you go into the theater offices. And if you notice, the finishes start to get a little bit more simpler. They're not as fancy as they were in the other room. Then by the time you get into the backstage area... You know, the carpet's gone, it's tile, wood floors, it's not painted wood, it's stained wood, it's different wallpaper, and we're kind of ramping you to this experience to meet Mickey where we're putting a character on Main Street. So we then by the time you get into that room, the colors of the room kind of reflect Mickey with the red striped wallpaper, and, and there's touches of things in there that look like they fit on Main Street but are tweaked for Mickey, like... You'll never find a Victorian trunk with green or blue leather. But in our room, you will because they complement Mickey, but they still look like they're fitting to the time period. So there's sort of this weird mashup going on there. But that's the experience. So you meet him in his rehearsal room, and then you exit through the, th- uh, the theater's prop shop. And that's where we have those great full-size magic tricks that we made and things like that that support the overall theater storyline. So. And like I said, you know, everything that we see and experience is grounded in story. And I think there's a couple of shifts that I think we see, at least from a guest perspective, is a sense of nostalgia, obviously mm. being very nostalgic. And I think a move yeah. towards interactivity. And I want to sort of touch on both. But going to the nostalgia, I think a big part of that um, in helping to is, is your role in sort of helping to reintroduce or introduce in many cases like to our kids the orange bird tell us about tell us that process and how that began um that's a good one isn't it (laughs) (laughs) you made a lot of people very very a little a lot of little orange nerds very happy well selfishly i think i made myself really happy too but um i you know orange bird was funny so you know orange bird obviously for a lot of us who came to the park a long time ago is a big deal i mean we remember him from coming to the park when um there's actually Imagineer in California that tried to bring the Orange Bird back about three or four years ago, but the timing just wasn't right, and, it, and it, it just didn't work out. And he and I were talking on the phone about how we both kind of shared this um, common memory. They drove from Texas, I believe it was, and we drove down from Chicago. And when you hit that Florida border, the first thing you did was you pulled over, went to the welcome station, and got your cup. Sorry. Got your cup of free orange juice. And who's on the orange juice cup? The Orange Bird. 
And at that point, for me, it was like, vacation's over. We're in Florida. And Orange Bird, you actually saw on your way to the Magic Kingdom more than you saw Mickey Mouse if you were driving, you know? And a lot of people drove. And so I have very distinct memories of Orange Bird as a kid and, and him sort of being... He's sort of the ambassador of the Magic Kingdom, you know? So what happened was is that you know, we've been doing a lot of rehabs around the park. It's a 40-year-old park, so we got to keep things fresh and new. And um, the Sunshine Tree Terrace went down for a rehab. And I went to the Magic Kingdom team, uh, who's led by Dave Hoffman, and I said, you know, now would be a great time to bring the Orange Bird back. You know, um, there's been some collectible vinylmations. We've done some pins. D23 did a shirt. People seem really receptive to it. I think we should do it. It would be a fun thing to do. And so Dave agreed. And at the time, we thought, well, we'll just get him up on the sign and maybe do some graphics and reference to him. We had no idea that we'd find the figure, right? So um, we started talking to some people, and um, my good friend uh, Scott Tilly, who's a Disney artist at Pixar who does uh, children's books, sent me a photo of an orange bird with an asset tag on it. I'm like, where's that photo from? He's like, well, it's in the photo archive. I'm like, this is crazy. Is that, does the archives have this? So we emailed Stephen Vagnini, who you know. He's like, oh, no, we don't have that in the archives. So I sent an email to uh, Imagineering in Glendale. And to the model shop, and I said, have you guys seen this bird? And a couple of people were like, no, we've never seen it before. But luckily, I know the story is that it was found in a drawer. It's somewhat misleading. That's how it was relayed to me. But in actuality, he was in a drawer in our archive collection of, for sculpture. And uh, a guy named Mike Jesko knew exactly where he was. So he saw the picture. He's like, oh, yeah, I know the orange bird. And he pulled it, and we looked at it, and they sent it out to us. So at this point, you know, we had the orange bird. And I had talked with Casey Jones, who you know, and he's like, well, we can do T-shirts. And I'm like, that's great. Let's see if we can do that. So he kind of did that. And then we went to food and beverage and said, hey, we think we're going to do shirts. We got this bird. We think we can get it back out in the park. We would love for you guys. And we flipped over a drawing of the sipper cup. And they were like head over the heels. I've never seen one, I've never seen one react to a drawing so strong in my life. Liz Clark, who's here at Magic Kingdom, who's a, who's a lovely woman is like, oh my God, we have to do the sipper cup. Do you remember those? I'm like, yeah, my mom just threw them out 10 years ago and I'm just dying. But um, so she did that. And then when we left that meeting, I said to Liz, I said, you know what would really be awesome? She goes, what? I said, if we could bring back the original citrus swirl. And she goes, you know, that's a really great idea. We need to see if we can do that. So all this stuff is kind of happening. We got the bird. We get the bird refinished. We got them on the sign. We know the T-shirts are coming, the sipper cup. Then I get an email from Liz that says, we found an old machine that can do citrus swirls and we're having it rebuilt. I mean, they rebuilt the machine. And I'm like, that's incredible. And then two weeks later, she's like, we have swirls. That's what the email said. (laughs) So we were really jamming on it, you know. And then we did the attraction poster, which um, if you ever look at that, another thing that Mike uh, Jusko in California did for us is that that artwork of the Sunshine Tree Terrace in there is the best reproduction you'll ever see of that artwork. It's been in other books, but it's an older version. Go look at that artwork. It's amazing. It looks just like the building. And um, So we did the attraction poster, and then we got to do the mini prints of those. And everything just kind of convalesced because we had like 20 super passionate people doing this thing. And it was great. And so then we unveiled them on April 17th, I believe it was, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and it was awesome. And the funny thing is my kid has had an orange bird bank on his bed since he was born that I've had for, you know, a long, long time. And so he was like, why are you drawing all this orange bird stuff? I go, well, he's coming back. And his response is, where did he go? Because he had no idea, right? He's living in this bubble, you know, this orange bubble. But um, uh, so that's how it went. And that's kind of how the whole thing unrolled. So 
Well, it's interesting, I think, how Disney sort of is looking to its history to, to move to its future. And to that point, I think what we're starting to see, too, in the parks, and as somebody who's come for so many years, you're seeing not just a huge advance in technology, but the level of interactivity that's come into the park, too, and, and how that enhances the guest experience. Yeah, I think you're going to see more of it, and I think you're going to see more of it in different ways than you haven't seen before. I think, you know, Haunted Mansion Graveyard is one um, way that you'll see that interactivity, and we've got other things in the pipeline that are coming, and, um, you know, if we can enhance the story and make it better through interactivity, we're going to do it, because it just takes things to, um, you know, a lot of our rides are like third-person rides, right? Like, Peter Pan is a third-person ride, right? You watch things unfold. Haunted Mansion is a first-person ride. It happens to you, right? You're actually there. And so interactivity can take that point of view and make it even more dynamic and more... Um, what's what I'm trying to think. Not can make it more nuanced, but can make it even more immersive because you actually have some control or say over what's happening. And so it's pretty exciting. And so I think if it's the right place at the right time for the right thing, you're going to see it happen. So. And Jason Grant, five-year-old boy who loved Epcot Center, right. you have to be super excited. The 30th anniversary is coming. You're actually going to be there yeah. presenting with some of those Imagineers that you were sort of looking up to very early on. Yeah, it's really humbling, and it's um, really intimidating. But we're excited, and I'm excited to be there October 1st. I'll be bringing my five-year-old boy, <laughs> to, who's been there plenty. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he's never been there before. But, but um, yeah, we're excited for Epcot. It's great. I mean... It's going to be a great day, and the D23 event is going to be a lot of fun. I- I'm excited to be there and see all the panels, too. I mean, to hear Tony talk about imagination and things like that, it's going to be amazing. Really fun. Yeah, we're, uh, we're very much looking forward to it. And again, all the other people that are going to be um, you know, out there speaking. If you could just give one piece of advice right, to the one person who's listening that wants right. to be Jason Grant, that wants no, to become... No, well, that would be my first piece of advice. <laughs> don't be don't J- listen to Jason Grant. <laughs> No, I, you know, it's funny. We do lunch with an Imagineer program at the uh, at the Brown Derby, right, three times a week. And um, people ask this a lot. And you have a lot of kids come like, I know everything about Disney. And it's like, that's great. Like, I don't know everything about Disney. I know a lot about animation. I know a lot about the parks. But if you ask me what year Blackbeard's book Ghost came out, unfortunately, you know, Jason Sir will be upset, but I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> but... Um, the thing I always tell them is I say, we're at the Brown Derby, and I say, look out the window. What do you see? And they're like, well, it's Sunset Boulevard. I said, well, is that really Disney? And they're like, no, it's, it's not. I'm like, that's right. I said, it's Sunset Boulevard. But we've taken it and reinterpreted it in a way to create this environment that tells a story, the essence of Sunset Boulevard. And so really what you need to do is you need to know a lot about Disney, but you need to know a lot about visual communication. And you need, most importantly, to know what you don't know so then you know to go find it out. Right, because a lot of like right now we're sitting here in Liberty Square, you know, there wasn't really Ben and me, but there wasn't really an animated film. You know, Walt never made a princess tale that took place in 1776. You know, this is this is what it is because people went out and researched it, what made these things what they are, and then we built them. So I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but and the other thing I would say is just go for it because when I wanted to get my job here, you know, my dad was a little hesitant. You know, he was a cop and he's very pragmatic and. Like, what are you doing that for? You know, all this stuff. And, and I always would tell them, someone has to do it. This stuff doesn't, nobody, this stuff just doesn't happen. Somebody has to do this stuff. So why can't it be whoever it is that wants to do it, right? So that was, that was kind of got me through it when I was trying, so. Well, I appreciate you taking time to sit with me today. And, you know, I think it's great for us because we get a chance to uh, see you and hear from you at a lot of these D23 and, again, the Epcot events and tweet-ups and meet-ups that they have here in the parks 
uh, because I think for so many years we never knew the names and the faces behind what was being created here. And uh, I recently had a chance to interview Marty Sklar and Tony Baxter, sort of that first and second generation of and Disney Magic. And now I'm going, uh, it's like the trifecta, <laughs> right? I've got the three generations. <laughs> I was going to say the Holy Trinity, the three, but that's three right. generations. The, the all knowing, the supremely knowing, and the unknowing, right? <laughs> That's, that's what that is. Well, it's great. And uh, it, it's great for us to uh, hear from you. And, and I appreciate you sharing all this with us. And, and keep up the awesome work. No, thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. So we'll see you at the 30th. Hopefully. Absolutely. All right. time for the Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where you can challenge yourself to see how well you know Walt Disney World trivia, history, details, and stories, and have a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back to last week, review the question and the answer, and randomly select our winner. So last week, we were talking about being in an Epcot mood. We had recently done uh, a meet of the month where we met a lot of people who came over from the UK. So I wanted to ask a question specifically about the United Kingdom Pavilion at Epcot Center's World Showcase. Now, as you know, it represents the history of the United Kingdom through a, a wide variety of architectural styles from the 1500s to the 1800s. And I said that if you paid close attention, and as I always say, look up and look around, you'll notice that there are four streets that actually make up the United Kingdom Pavilion. So your question was just to name two of them. And if you named it two out of Tudor Lane, High Street, Upper Regency Street, or Lower Regency Street, you were entered in to win a prize package that includes all six of my audio tours of Walt Disney World, a WW Radio luggage tag, button, and a vinylmation. And if you haven't seen those signs, look up on some of the buildings and you'll notice there are white signs with black lettering on them. So we randomly selected one winner from the literally hundreds of correct entries last week. And so this week's winner is Pat O'Keefe. So Pat, congratulations. Please send me your contact information. I'll get your package out to you right away. To everyone else who entered, congratulations and thank you for playing. And if you didn't win, that's okay because here is this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. So in honor of my guest Jason Grant's affinity for early Epcot Center, here's a question about just that. Because like Jason, I loved the early park as well, including some of the views from some unique locations. For example, the second floor of the large shop that was eventually replaced by Mouse Gear. It had a very 80s discotheque-like feel to it, and originally occupied two levels and was part of the original Communicore, which became, obviously, Innoventions. So your question this week is this. What was the name of that original store which occupied the space where Mouse Gear now resides? You have until Sunday, September 16th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Your prize package will consist of all six of my audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WDW Radio luggage tag, button, pin, and in honor of the upcoming WDW Radio cruise on the Disney Dream with our very special guest, Richard Sherman, I'm also going to give you the Sherman Brothers songbook. Two CD pack has all the greatest hits from the Sherman Brothers. Again, you have until Sunday, September 16th to email your answer to contest at WDWRadio.com. Good luck and have fun. Thank you.
that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. A couple of quick reminders. Don't forget that starting Friday, September 28th, kicking off the Food and Wine Festival, Epcot's 30th anniversary weekend. We have lots going on. We're going to kick it off with our inaugural WDW Radio e-ticket event and evening at the American Adventurers Club in the American Adventure Pavilion, a private dinner and show just for us, very reminiscent of the Adventurers Club. Also, some special guests are going to be on hand, including Disney artists, Imagineers, and lots more. We're also once again going to conduct our Dream Team Project charity auction to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. It's going to start Friday, go throughout the weekend until Sunday, just like we did last year. You don't need to be present in Walt Disney World because it's all going to take place online. We've also got the Tower of Terror 10-miler that weekend. The meet of the month on Saturday, September 29th, starting at 3 p.m. over at the Liberty Inn at the American Adventure Pavilion. Sunday, we've got the D23 Epcot 30th Anniversary events. And Monday, October 1st, Epcot's real 30th anniversary. I'm going to be doing a live broadcast from the parks. Stay tuned to Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello and Facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello for the time and details. We're going to announce the auction winner. And I'm also going to have another special announcement. It's kind of big. So stay tuned for more about what's happening that day and other events as well by visiting the events page over at www.radio.com and if you're coming on the cruise with us in November on the Disney Dream with Richard Sherman you'll find a link there to updates and a schedule and if you aren't coming yet now's a great time to get a free no obligation quote from Mouse Fan Travel because Disney just released some great rates for the cruise in November again it's the 4th through the 8th on the Disney Dream with Richard Sherman if you want to call into the show, be heard on the air, call 407-900-9391. Or if you have a question you want answered on the show, email me at lou at wwradio.com. In addition to the podcast, don't forget there's so much more going on. For example, every Wednesday night, starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we have a live video broadcast, an interactive chat where you can come on and talk about this week's Walt Disney World news. We also have new videos every week on the site, including our 5 for 5 Five snacks under $5 at the Magic Kingdom. We've got great blog posts multiple times a day, including contests and ways you could be part of the site and the show. For example, every Tuesday is Self Shot Tuesday. You can email your self shot photo from one of the Disney parks to photos at www.radio.com. Be featured on the blog there as well. Lots more going on. Be sure and check out everything going on on the site over at www.radio.com. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors. You know, Mouse Fan Travel is my recommended travel provider. No matter where you're going in the Disney world, they give you the best possible prices, great personal service, all at no additional cost to you. AllStarVacationHomes.com has everything from two-bedroom condos up to seven-bedroom homes. Great way to bring the extended family or groups of friends with you. They're within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. They all have their own private pools, spas, kitchens, game rooms, and lots more. If you want to stay right in the heart of Walt Disney World, one of my favorite places to eat and stay is the Swan and Dolphin. You can visit them at swananddolphin.com. They've got world-class restaurants, great guest rooms with the most comfortable beds on property, the Mandara Spa, and lots more. Don't forget, too, the Food and Wine Festival coming up in just a couple of weeks, the night of our e-ticket event. Great way to prepare is not only by listening to show number 290, where AJ from the Disney Food Blog comes on, we sort of give you a prep show, but go out and download the Disney Food Blog mini guide to the Food and Wine Festival. It's got a schedule of events, booth crawls, touring strategies, what's new, the full food, wine, chef indexes, and lots more. And if you go to dfbstore.com and put in code WDW Radio, you'll save off the download as well. 
And if you can't get to Disney as often as you like, and really, who can? Celebrations Magazine is a great way to get it delivered, either right to your door in print version or right to your iPad. You can visit celebrationspress.com. There you can find out how to subscribe and order back issues as well. And finally, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, hope to get a chance to meet many of you during the 30th anniversary weekend. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Tell others about it. Tweet out that you're listening or share links to your favorite episodes on Facebook. And please go to iTunes and rate and review the show there as well, too. Very helpful. Very, very much appreciated. And finally, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to tune in this and every week and for letting me share my passion for all things Disney with you. And if you aren't doing what you love each and every day, remember that nothing happens until you start taking positive steps. And if you never try, you'll never know. And once you do get started, always keep moving forward. Thank you again so much for taking the time and listening. I hope you guys have a great week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hi Lou, it's Becky and her family here. We're just leaving Wilderness Lodge today. We had breakfast with you yesterday. We've had a good holiday. We did Sources of the Magic Kingdom and saw the rope drop and had breakfast in Cinderella's table. Met up with a few English people, came to your meet. Hope to be seeing uh, you again sometime soon. Hope you have a good rest of your summer without the British here with you. Bye! Hey, uh, Lou. Thank you, man. You got a friend in me.